The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever sorry about the break but we've had a lot of stuff going on with our personal and work lives so but we're back and we're just gonna start season seven and start this fresh yep because i'm pretty sure we've had over a season's worth of materials in between something if not it's okay it was a little short in season six but that's all right so starting off today with season seven i have a brand new story for you guys it's called in the blood the kalamazoo's sibling serial killers are you intrigued i am very intrigued I'm on a serial killer kick, by the way, so look for lots of serial killer stories this season. Well, maybe that's what our theme this season could be, is ser- all the serial killers that you want to do. And Patreons, don't worry, we're going to have some exclusive content for you very, very soon. So hang tight, we got you. On May 30th, 1964, 30-year-old Gary Smock was in Battle Creek, Michigan, looking for a place to host a youth event for his church. It was getting kind of late in the evening, so he filled his gas tank and he headed back towards his mother's home where he was staying with his wife and his children. They were just visiting. Gary never made it back, though. His wife reported her husband missing, and shortly thereafter, his body was found in the trunk of his own car. He had been shot to death. Gary left behind his widow, Thelma, age 29, and daughters Cynthia, four, and Deanna, six months. Those are little bitty kids. Yep, very little. Gary Smock was a school teacher at Plymouth Junior High School and was actively involved in his church. He was known as a good man who really loved his wife and children dearly. The only apparent motive for this crime seemed to be robbery. When Gary was found, his shoes and his watch were removed from him, and his belongings an empty wallet were sort of recklessly thrown around the inside of the vehicle. Witnesses stated that the abandoned car had been there for about six hours. However, the medical examiner estimated the time of death to be between 12 and 20 hours before the body was found. So he was somewhere for a while. Somebody sound, like, sounds like somebody took a joyride. Yeah. Just days after the murder of Gary Smock, an anonymous tip came in. The tipster said that a man had admitted to this murder and he, this man that made this confession was still at his house. He's like, you guys, he's here. He's at my house. He said he did this. So police rush over there and they find 19-year-old Larry Rains. Larry admitted to the murder and he was arrested without offering any resistance whatsoever. So this 19-year-old kid's like very, as a matter of fact, like, yeah, I did that. I killed him. And they take him into custody, no problem. While on the way to the police station, Reigns then admits that not only did he kill Gary Smock, but he committed four other murders. Damn. Yeah. 19-year-old. Five murders. Who was this young man, and how did he become a serial killer before he even turned 20 years old? 
Larry Lee Rains was born on March 22, 1945 in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Unlike most families during this period of time, Larry's mother worked outside the home and he was primarily cared for by his father. He and his brother, Danny, who was just a little bit older than him, um, Danny was actually born in 1943. Their father was not really the greatest caretaker and sometimes he was just downright mean and abusive. And when he drank, which was frequently, this abuse and just mean-spirited behavior got worse. So these boys probably weren't being, you know, that's not the best environment to raise young men in. Their father would often encourage the brothers to be competitive with each other and fight. Sometimes he would have them fist fighting over a few pennies, something very minimal, but he encouraged that. So, I mean, that's like sibling rivalry to a whole new level. He also encouraged his very young sons to drink alcohol. So, I mean, they're not even 10 years old yet, and he's giving them alcohol and having his own little kitty fight club. That sounds like father of the year right there. Right? In 1954, the boy's father grew tired of his life with his wife and children, and so he took off with another woman. He moved to Florida with his new girlfriend, and he started working at a gas station. Although he had never been loving, the boys felt abandoned. You know, the one person that cared for them, or they thought cared for them, has gone now. At one point, they even went to visit his father in Florida, and he basically told them to leave that he didn't want them there. So you can imagine the impact that has on them mentally. Yeah, I couldn't imagine that at all. The abandonment by their father and their troubled childhood led these boys to make some pretty bad choices from a pretty very early age, and it really negatively impacted their lives. When Larry was 13, he began a relationship with a 23-year-old neighbor who was a single mother. 13. 13. What is wrong with people? Larry started spending a large amount of time with this neighbor, and eventually it became a sexual relationship between the woman and the boy. Despite this relationship, though, Larry met a girl in the early 1960s that he also pursued a relationship with. Sibling rivalry reared its ugly head, though, when his brother Danny became interested in this girl as well. So now you've got both these brothers that are wanting to date this girl around their age named Kathy. And Kathy liked both of the brothers. She spent time with both Larry and Danny. And so they're constantly fighting and, you know, kind of at each other's throats and they want, they want to be with Kathy. Larry dropped out of school in the 10th grade and began partaking in criminal behavior. In 1962, he and a friend stole a car. Of course, they're teenagers and they're dumb, so they get caught pretty easily. And the district attorney told Larry, you know, let's make a deal. If you enter the United States Army, we'll vacate all your charges. It seems like back in the day, that was like the deal right. that everybody got. Like, I okay. guess they figured these young offenders, if you give them some discipline and you know the military right. opportunities and things, they can turn their life around. I mean, it kind of makes sense. It does. So you know, they offer that to him, and Larry agrees to go, and so he enlists. And Kathy, who although she was kind of dating both him and his brother. She's devastated. Apparently, of Larry and Danny, if she had to pick one of the brothers, she truly cared more about Larry. And so she's absolutely devastated that Larry is leaving. 
But once he's away at basic training, Kathy and Danny, their relationship turns very, very serious. And Kathy gets pregnant while she's still in high school. Against her parents' wishes, she marries Danny, and they go on to have two children. Okay. Larry's alcohol abuse contributed to repeated misconduct while he was in the service. In 1963, he had been drinking heavily when he realized a bag of potato chips was missing. He attacked another service member. And as a result of this violent, drunken, enraged attack, he's discharged from the military dishonorably. And so he returns to Kalamazoo. Insanely jealous of his brother and Kathy's relationship, which is now including marriage and children, Larry returns to that older woman he had been seeing since he was a young teenager. And he asks this woman to marry him. And she says no. And he asks her a couple times, and she continues to say no. And so now he feels devastated and rejected. And so he attempts suicide on December 23rd, 1963. Larry attempted to suffocate himself by inhaling exhaust fumes, but a police officer found him and prevented the suicide attempts. He was transferred to Kalamazoo Regional Psychiatric Hospital, and he remained there for 10 days, after which he was discharged home. Within months of this hospital discharge, Larry would begin killing. On April 6, 1964, 20-year-old Vernon Labine had been robbed and shot in the head in the gas station where he worked. Vernon was a gas station attendant and an active duty Air Force member stationed in Fort Custer in Michigan. When he was found, he was still alive the day after the shooting, but he died later in the hospital. He was never able to regain consciousness, so he was never able to give a description of his attacker. And the apparent motive was robbery. They really had no clue. So this kind of just went cold pretty quick. The day after schoolteacher Gary Smock failed to return home to his family, fishermen in nearby Elkhart, Indiana, found the body of another gas station attendant, Charles Snyder. Charles had been shot in the head, and the murder appeared again to be robbery. During the time the case was being investigated, just 10 miles from where they were searching for Gary Smock, police formed a roadblock, inspecting all the incoming and, and going vehicles looking for clues. During this roadblock, Larry Raines drove through in Gary Smock's vehicle. No connection was made. He drove through a roadblock for one murder that he committed in the vehicle of another man who's missing, right. who was dead in the trunk at the time. That they were looking for. Right. But no connection was made. I mean, the, they are two different states. Mind you, they're very close. Right. Like St. Louis and East St. Louis, but still. Um, upon his arrest, Larry explained to police that he felt helpless and lonely after his girlfriend refused his marriage proposals. After he survived his suicide attempt and was released from the hospital, he took off kind of wandering around aimlessly, didn't know what he wanted to do, where he wanted to go. He said he ended up in Las Vegas, where he shot a man during a robbery. He then admitted to murdering another man somewhere in Florida. He wasn't really quite sure where. Both gas station attendants. He was hitchhiking when Gary Smock stopped to give him a ride. So this school teacher stops to give this man a ride. He instantly pulls a gun on him 
and forces him into the trunk. As he drove around, Gary was screaming and begging for his life. Larry said, this annoyed me. So he pulled over and he shot him as he lay in his own trunk. He then drove to Indiana with Gary Smock's dead body still in the trunk, where he robbed and murdered Charles Snyder. He admitted to killing Vernon Labine the month before. He drove through the roadblock that day with Gary's body still in the trunk. He later abandoned the vehicle. And the motives all seem to be robbery, but it's also thought that Larry killed these men symbolically out of anger towards his father. And what's interesting is most of these men were gas station attendants, which is what his father did for a living. Yeah, I kind of made that connection, but I was going to wait to bring it up. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you think about that, like it is symbolically like anger towards his father. Um, you know, and was it the abuse, the abandonment, all of it combined? What what made I would say, somebody like that? I would say it's all all the above. Ballistics evidence linked the murders of Gary Smock and Charles Snyder, which proved that this was not a false confession. So he was arrested, and when he was arrested, Larry was wearing Gary Smock's watch and shoes. He also surrendered his handgun, which proved to be a match for the murder weapon in multiple murders. Despite admitting to five murders, Larry Raines was only charged with the murder of Gary Smock. Is that because that's the only one that they could have evidence on? Or I mean, the gun matched Charles Snyder, so I don't really know why, except Charles Snyder was in Indiana, so maybe Indiana right. figured, you know, Michigan's going to prosecute him. We don't need to worry about it. Right. I mean, they did a lot like, of that back in weird. the day. Yeah. So I don't know. Despite, you know, all of that and getting only charged with one murder, he initially waived his right to a lawyer. He was ordered to undergo a psychiatric exam. But before the exam was completed, Larry changed his mind and he asked for an attorney. This request was basically ignored, though. Reigns was found competent to stand trial. Before trial, he was provided a defense attorney who secured two doctors that testified that Larry was insane at the time of the crime, but that he was no longer psychotic at time of trial. Despite this testimony, though, Larry was found guilty of the murder of Gary Smock and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole in October of 1964. He later said that he would not have confessed if he knew he was going to be imprisoned as he believed he would be sentenced to death. So he makes the comment, basically, if I knew I was going to jail, I wouldn't confess. I thought I was getting the needle. Oh, shit. Yeah. While Larry began serving his life sentence in the Michigan Department of Corrections, Danny Raines built a life with his wife, Kathy. It seemed that he had become the winning sibling of this lifelong rivalry between the two brothers. However, Kathy struggled to leave her feelings for Larry behind. She frequently wrote to Larry while in prison, and as a result of this, her marriage with Danny starts to suffer. So can you imagine being married with children, but you're in love with your husband's brother who's in prison for being a serial killer? Jeez. What the <laughs> hell? In 1968, Danny Raines was identified by an 18-year-old woman as her attacker. According to the woman, Danny took her at gunpoint and began driving her car. He brought her to the outskirts of town where he had planned to sexually assault her, but she managed to escape. 
Rains then abandoned the woman's vehicle, but his car was found in the parking lot where the kidnapping occurred. She later identified him as her attacker, and he was sentenced to four years in prison for felonious assault. So you're winning by a slim hair? Well, and there was thought that maybe he did this because his wife's in love with his brother, the serial killer. So maybe if I go do something bad and I'm the bad boy, like that was kind of like some people's thought on that. I don't know if there's any truth to that at all. In 1971, Larry Raines, I'm sure you saw this coming, successfully appealed his murder conviction based upon them violating his Miranda rights by ignoring his request for an attorney. Yeah, well. I mean, you probably saw that coming, right? I see it. I'm, I'm starting to become psychic in these things, in, in these cases, <laughs> by like seeing exactly what their first appeal is going to be. And so he wins a new trial. He planned to take the case back to trial and plead insanity, but he learns later that like his attorneys basically tell him, like, you don't really have a very good case for insanity. And even if you go back to trial, they're going to find you guilty. Like, right. Come on, dude. And so he enters a guilty plea and he receives another life sentence. He was given something in exchange for this, though. He wanted to change his name, which he changed to Monk Steppenwolf. And still showed no remorse for the five people he murdered. I wonder what the reason for the name change was. Well, he says later because his name was so tarnished by his brother okay so okay during danny's imprisonment kathy divorced him danny was released from prison in 1972 and he began working as a gas station attendant it's weird right not really weird like yeah just as his father did but i guess if you're an ex-con what are you gonna where are you gonna work he met 15 year old brent coster Brent was a troubled youth who had been raised by a schizophrenic mother and alcoholic father. Danny befriended him and gave him a job and a place to live, and they literally become partners in crime. Oh, and I have to back up for just a minute. Um, So Kathy divorced Danny and at one point married Larry while Larry was in prison. Jesus. Like this. Yeah. Yeah. This is the most twisted game of fuck around ever. (laughs) Right? Um, So she divorces one criminal and marries his brother, the serial killer. But they didn't last either, apparently. On July 5th, 1972, Danny and Brent Coster raped and killed two women who stopped by the station Danny was working at along I-94. The victims were 19-year-old Claudia Bidstrup and Linda Clark. After killing the young women, Brent and Danny wrapped their bodies in a blanket and placed them in the back of their car. They drove the bodies to a wooded area near Galesburg, Michigan, where they dumped them. The bodies were found two weeks later. A month later, on August 5, 1972, the two men were driving near Western Michigan University when they picked up 18-year-old hitchhiker Pamela Fearnow. They abducted Pamela and drove her to a wooded area near Comstock, Michigan. They repeatedly raped her, and then they suffocated her with a plastic bag. Brent Coster, remember, he's 15. He followed Danny's example, but failed to follow all of Danny's instructions. He started talking about the murders to street workers that he was engaging in activities with. One of which turned into a police informant. Jesus. Yeah. 
like go ahead if you're gonna get a teenager as your partner in crime you better make sure he knows to shut the fuck up right in September of 1972, Coster was arrested, and he admitted to the murders. He also told authorities that Danny admitted to killing 28-year-old Patricia Hawk on March 19, 1972. The prosecution offered Brent Coster a deal in exchange for his testimony against Danny Raines. Brent Coster was convicted of second-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole. So not a great deal. But at least he had a possibility. It's still a fucking deal. Like, I don't give a... Sh- whatever. Well, at 15, I mean, yeah. that would have eventually gotten thrown out. The If it was without parole, it would have eventually gotten changed anyway. Yeah, but they didn't know that back then. I know. I'm just saying. Like, it wasn't like it was a super deal. It's not like he got 20 years or something. Danny Raines was charged with four counts of first-degree murder. When he went to trial, Brent Coster served as the prosecution's star witness. With this testimony, Danny was convicted of the first-degree murder for killing Pamela Fearnow, second-degree murder for the murder of Patricia Hawk. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In 1976, Danny's ex-wife married Larry, now known as Monk Steppenwolf, despite him being in prison for life for being a serial killer. Her ex-husband's also in prison for being a serial killer. The marriage did not last, however. The brothers, despite at one point being jailed in the same institution, have had absolutely zero contact with each other since the early 1970s. In the late 1970s, Larry was disciplined for conspiring to kill another inmate. Like, these are real winners, right? Yeah, like I'm glad they got off the street. Right? He told reporters that corruption in the prison system was rampant, allowing him and others to have access to drugs while incarcerated. After 48 years in prison, Brent Coster was released on parole at the age of 64. Despite the pleas of families of his victims, Brent was released from prison on January 21, 2021. He was released in part because he successfully completed a sex offender rehabilitation program, earned a law degree, and maintained an exemplary prison record. What do you think of that? We all know how I I feel on getting out for good behavior. Right. Okay, but... This one, I kind of see, though. 46 years, is that what I said? 46 years. He was 15 when he went in? 16 when he went in? Yeah, probably 16. Like... Do I? I don't know. I can go both ways with that. Yeah. That's awfully young. In January of 2022, Danny Raines died in prison at the age of 78. Larry Raines, now 78, remains in prison in the Saginaw Correctional Facility. He is not eligible for parole, and he will share the same fate as his brother Danny, dying behind bars. So what is so unique about this story? Why did it grab my attention? That's what I'm going to tell you. So what I think is unique is both of the Reigns brothers were not only siblings, but two serial killers. And most of the time when you have related people that are serial killers, they, they work together. Exactly. They were, but these two were independent of each other. Completely. Which like this, this is one of those cases where I wish some psychologists would get like, would have got on board mm-hmm. and did some deep dives into, okay, what's in your brain right now? And then do like 
genealogy with the families and stuff like that. Like, let's right. get a good sense of what caused this nature or nurture. Right. I'm sure this was a whole nature kind of thing because they weren't nurtured at all. Right. But that's what I'm saying. Was it a result of like not being nurtured? Was right. it their environment growing up or was there like something physically but, or genetically wrong with them that made them but, fucking you know, crazy? Like, come on, mine hunter. Where were you at with this case? Right. Like, I just, w I would love to see, uh, like, this is what sucks. I mean, but this is what draws me in. Like, right. I want to see, like, what the hell is in your head? Give me five minutes alone in your brain. I'll get scared shitless, but I want to know, <laughs> you know? Right. Were they really, like, were they psych? I mean, yes, they're psychotic, you know? I mean, not but in were, the clinical sense, but you know, like, in the was humanity there, sense. Was there some kind of schizophrenia or something going on with them too like what drove them both and like so separate crimes but they had and different totally different victims and motives you know, and motives and shit like that there was no but yet both of them were serial were killers. serial killers and within a you know reasonable time frame too it's right. not you know they weren't that far apart in time and, was it know, a game of one-upmanship? Maybe. And some people think that. That maybe, you know, the attention that Larry got from being a serial killer, Danny was jealous, so he became a serial killer. But, you know, what's interesting about that is that, you know, it is very different. Larry killed men. Men specifically that reminded him or likely reminded him of his absent and abusive father. Right. And then... Danny killed women in sexually motivated crimes. Right. Completely God. different. Yeah, like... The MOs could be couldn't be more two totally different things. You would think right. that it was too like you would like oh no those they they couldn't be related at all, right? But yet it's brothers like yeah. yeah, it's odd. Some experts theorize that the sibling rivalry is what motivated their crimes. Again, you know, oh here's Larry, he's jealous of Danny because Danny got Kathy and Danny's got the family and he can't get a wife, and so he goes out and he kills people that remind him of his dad. Well then. He's getting all this attention because he's a serial killer. And so so now Danny wants to be a serial killer. And then Danny divorces Kathy and Kathy marries Larry. Larry. Sorry. What is Kathy it? Kathy Monk. Monk. Monk Steppenwolf. Like, Stupid name. But like. Sorry if your name's Monk, but <laughs> it's a dumb name. If well, you have to pick your own name, I don't pick Monk. I'm just saying. Um, It's just interesting. And, you know, Danny's own wife remained obsessed with his brother even after he was arrested like did this right mess up his head to the point where he was like maybe angry at women and so mm. then he, that's what he started doing possibly he, like as a result of kathy's but sort then of bring rejection a, like to bring a 15 year old into it right you know a 15 year old who had an upbringing not that different from, from his. his it's very God, like this is a whole i would love to do like a psychiatrist, a psychiatrist breakdown of this case. Right. Other theories include that abuse in childhood was really the primary contributing factor leading both brothers to commit their crimes. Possibly. Perhaps there's a genetic component. And again, that's what is interesting to me. Is there something genetically or biologically predisposing them to violent crime? Right. Regardless of the cause or contributing factors, Larry and Danny Raines were both monsters who killed without remorse. 
Danny already died in prison, and Larry is sure to experience the same fate. So at the end of the day, for all their rivalry and all their evil and all their bullshit, they're both going to die in prison. It'd be funny if he died at the age of 78 as well. He better hurry up then. Like, I would just be like, okay, like now we really got to start thinking, like, okay. Yeah, that'd be weird. Because he's 78 right now. Right. So. I don't know. Like like I said, this is one of those cases that I would love to see if a there psychi- had been like a, a really good study on both of them. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what I think. In today's day and age, we're talking about like mental health and like all the mass shootings and shit that we're doing. Like this is the kind of stuff that we need to be funding research for. Like get in the get in the brains of the people that do the heinous crimes and shit like that. Right. And figure out why. Like I'm sure we, we have a very generalized, you know, reason for it at this point. But let's right. start narrowing it down. Like is there help you know like is there a specific part of the brain that fires that is causing all this shit or you know or something like that like that's what i want to get like deep into the annals of of like yeah you know what made this happen how did this happen why did this happen but then to just to kind of contradict myself if we start doing that and we find out oh hey your son is predispositioned to this because he has this part of his brain firing we can do a lobotomy real quick and just take that part out or and like we'll go back to like 1930s medicine where we just lobotomize people because oh they might do something wrong. Or do we start like locking people up for their brain, brain chemistry and oh, not their actions? Right. Does this become like Minority Report where we start predicting the future? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a this is a good case to bring season seven and I think I can't, so. I can't believe we've been doing this for seven seasons. I know it's stupid. And guys, we have some really big announcements coming up in yep. the next few weeks. We still can't share them, yep. but we have some very big announcements coming up. We're going to have some all new gear and giveaways. We're going yep. to have some great things for our Patreon supporters. Yep, we're going to also some we, amazing stories. We're going to do some lives. Like we're going, we're getting back to the old Chris and Gina because why not? Like we've been we've been kind of slacking. We can, we know this, but we both had some ish, like some major changes in jobs and stuff like that recently so uh i can tell them one of the big changes is we're thinking we were told that it might possibly be good for us to start doing a youtube channel with our cases now here's the problem though we're gonna get demonetized so quickly no no i'm (laughs) I'm, as long as i don't cuss within the first 30 seconds we're fine i don't know you gotta be very careful like with trigger words and well, we're going to have to do some research into this. Right. But I'm sure. think, we're thinking, well, what do you guys think about it? Should we go ahead and just make this a YouTube channel as well? And then you guys can see our, you guys can see us how we, in our nut house with our new puppies and stuff. Oh yeah. Like, I'm sorry for the noise in the background again this time. We have a new puppy. So imagine that us <laughs> yeah, go, and a new dog. Yeah. Go figure dog number five for us, but <laughs> we're going to be bringing you guys more content, better content. And hopefully, <laughs> timely content this time. Right. And some very big surprises. So that's stay what, tuned. That's what we, our goal for season seven is to never miss a day. We won't. Unless one, unless there's something drastic like. We will get this. This will be great. So yep. we look forward to this season with you guys and some giveaways that are coming very quickly. 
and some big announcements. So yep. in the meantime, if you want to be a Patreon supporter, Patreons, you're going to get um, some packages soon. Yep. Um, and if you guys head on over to our Patreon page, you can do that for as little as a dollar a month. Yep. And if you guys are interested in any of the cases that you guys hear on our channel, head over to themidwestcrimefiles.com and you can see the blog post that Gina puts out every single week that goes along with these uh podcasts and at the very bottom she has all the resources that she uses to make your guys's head spin and if you're really like me and you have to see pictures and things i have pictures too yep. now mind you one of the cases we're doing this season i found some extremely graphic uh pictures that are crime scene photos i will not be sharing yeah, those on she, our blog yeah those won't be shared ever but we'll um there you don't want to let right no I kind of we're regret just stop. even looking at them. Anyway, on that note, I think we're done for this week, guys. We will see you next week. Bye.